If you're a fan of big ideas, debate, and politics, check out our festival partner, Geopolitical Magazine Foreign Policy. A forum for informed debate about global affairs, foreign policy keeps a finger on the pulse of world news and political happenings. Beyond articles that delve behind the headlines via traditional reporting, Foreign Policy has so many other products to offer, ensuring that no matter how you like to engage with eye-opening content, there is a method for you. Check out their free offerings, like Foreign Policy Live, their forum for live journalism, newsletters, and podcasts. And with a subscription, unlock in-depth features and quarterly magazines, including their recently dropped spring edition, All About India. Fans of IAI will love Foreign Policy for more of the mind-expanding, insightful content that they seek. To explore their content, take advantage of an exclusive discount for IAI fans. Subscribe now using promo code LIGHT24 to save 50% and unlock access to everything Foreign Policy has to offer. The Institute of Art and Ideas, articles, videos, and podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast that brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Should we upgrade our bodies and minds? Will developing technologies create utopian or dystopian futures? On today's episode, we're discussing transhumanism, artificial intelligence, and aging. To help us explore transhumanism, we're joined this week by researcher, futurist, and author Anders Sandberg, who discusses robotics, designer bodies, and intelligence on tap. Another way of saying is, well, being human could be more fun. We could be smarter. We could live longer. We we could maybe be wiser. Could we find ways of improving this, not just by reading good books and debating, but also maybe fixing our genes? If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, and head over to our website, iai.tv. Back now to Anders Sandberg. Anders, thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about transhumanism at the moment. Um, I guess we'll start with what is transhumanism? So you can define transhumanism in several different ways. One way is saying it's about thinking that the human condition is good but could be better. And we can actually try to fix this using technology. Another way of explaining it is to say this is a continuation of the classical humanist idea about improving the human condition in various ways through the enlightenment uh, ideas about using uh, science, then through the industrial revolution and onward. So here it's a strand of thought. There are particular thinkers associated with it, starting maybe somewhat with H.G. Wells, definitely uh, with uh, Haldane and Bernal, and then going forward to modern thinkers. Another way of saying is, well, being human could be more fun. We could be smarter. We could live longer. We, We could maybe be wiser. Could we find ways of improving this, not just by reading good books and debating, but also maybe fixing our genes? Well, in in that case, um, where do you fit in and what is the relationship um, contemporary between um, this ideation stage through people like H.G. Wells, through literature and art, and actioning it through science, through biotechnology, for example? 
So it's not a coincidence that H.G. Wells is quite often mentioned, because besides being a science fiction author, he actually was one of the founders of future studies. He seriously proposed that we should have professors of prognostication or professors of the future, and that we should scientifically try to say something sensible about the future so it could steer towards good futures in a better way. And in many ways, there is this back and forth. So the science fiction stories inspire people to become scientists and engineers. Countless people have said that they wanted to become scientists after reading science fiction and making some of the ideas in science fiction real. And then, of course, many scientists are seeing these inventions and come up with other interesting ideas that science fiction authors bring up. So, for example, Freeman Dyson is, uh, among other things, famous for the cause of Dyson spheres, covering an entire star with solar connectors. He wrote a serious paper about this in the 1960s. But as he likes to point out, the idea was, of course, in Olaf Stapledon's novel, Star Maker, from the 1930s. But only a year after Dyson wrote his uh, paper, science fiction novels using the concept showed up. And a lot of people's understanding uh, about the concept come from the science fiction novels, then inspiring scientists to do searches for actual spheres out in the universe. So there is a back and forth between ideas, fiction, and visions, and actual research. I guess on, on that point, um, are there any ideas in, in literature, popular or not, that you would like to see in the short-term future? So in the short-term future, I think we want to have human enhancement that works well. It's uh, the horrible shame that people are aging and dying unnecessarily. We could be smarter. We could have better ways of handling our mental anguish. And we need other technologies like uh, AI safety technology to make our machines safer and better. And of course, science fiction is full of ideas that, if implemented, would change the future of humanity in various ways. But some of them are going to take a long while to implement, and the ordering might matter. So long term, obviously, we need to go to space. Uh, as uh, Tsiolkovsky put it, uh, the Earth is the cradle of uh, mankind, but uh, you don't live in your cradle forever. However, maybe we want to fix some things on Earth before going to space, even though, again, it's complicated because the technology you would need to colonize Mars, they would involve autonomous greenhouses that can work in a super arid environment, ways of extracting resources without having good ore bodies and really renewable energy sources, which all sounds like something we might want on Earth first. So the amazing thing is, it's easy to motivate people to do research about this when it comes to space. Harder, actually, to get research grants when saying, oh, this is going to help sub-Saharan Africa. So there is also this weird thing about our motivations. Quite often, we get more strongly motivated by utopian visions and uh, stories than many of the pressing problems. But ideally, we then turn from the fiction into actually doing something about the problems. Um. I will come to the specifics of the problems in a second, but on that final point between uh, that you made on uh, funding in relation to utopian, almost idealized um, scientific ideas, how do we change that? How do we make um, sure that funding goes to those who need it most, whether that's a material analysis or a structural change in the way that we approach funding in science? So the big problem in funding in science is that it's extremely cumbersome right now. Uh, so most uh, academics will uh, complain about that they spend far too much time writing grants or reporting about grants than actually doing the research. 
But deeper, the problem is that many of the grant bodies, they certainly want to support excellent research that produce good outcomes, but they tend to give to things that are established, that they know is not going to be wasted. Because the worst thing that could happen to a grant body is accusations that they're wasting public money. The problem is, of course, that means that interdisciplinary research is not going to get very supported. Even if it's excellent, it doesn't fit neatly into the ways we organize uh, grants. Also, another problem is that many important questions are under-researched and neglected. We don't know much about them yet. So actually investigating them is a relatively cheap way of actually gaining quite a lot of knowledge. So putting money into well-established fields means that we're actually missing out on a lot of knowledge production. So in my ideal world, we would probably put a lot more uh, grants into random topics that could be important, but we don't know yet. And the checking, even though a cursory check might tell you quite a bit about where it might be worth doing more. And you might also want to work more on the interdisciplinariness, which is hard. So it might be that sometimes we're just overcomplicating things and maybe we should just randomize the whole grant process. Um, are there any specific examples to mind um, of random areas of research that you would like funding put into? So probably, uh, give me five minutes, I can probably think up a very, very long list. Uh, but in many cases, it's going to be unusual uh, topics or side topics or things that people have not been investigating very much. Uh, there are, for example, in neuroscience, uh, there are questions about how do you get stable representations? I think that's actually an extremely important question, yet very few people seem to be investigating it. When it comes to drugs, it's fairly well known that uh, most uh, the drugs uh, that people take uh, that have mental effect tend to cause habituation of various kinds. Yet we don't argue much about habituation to drugs we take for high blood pressure. Why is that? And why does it seem that all the drugs that are said to have habituation seem to be drugs that are controlled rather than medical drugs? There might be something worth investigating there. But I think there's thousands or millions of topics like that that have not been properly investigated because they're low status, because people don't see it important. So one approach might be to say, what is big in life? What matters a lot? We should perhaps put in a commensurate amount of research. So a third of our lives is spent asleep. Yet we don't spend that much work on sleep research. And currently our sleep aids are really atrociously bad. Sleeping pills, yep, they make you unconscious, but they don't make you very rested. We need better ways of sleeping. If we could improve sleep quality, we would win quite a bit. Uh, I would argue that uh, aging is another thing that is unduly neglected. People recognize that the illnesses and chronic diseases of aging are important, yet doing something about the cause might actually be much more effective and would uh, save both individuals and society from a lot of pain and loss. Yet that is, again, fairly uh, neglected. And so these are the types of areas that transhumanist philosophers want to um, fund research into so that we can, so that in this almost holistic way, um, uh, solve this like multitude of issues that exist in the moment. Um, all very interesting stuff, but to return, if you will, um, to the literature um, analogy, what I, I say is because um, we've been talking about um, utopian sci-fi and how attractive that is, um, particularly for science funders. Um, but what about cyberpunk? Neuro, um, Neuromancer, William Gibson's novel, is known for starting the cyberpunk genre. And what he painted is a, a radical um, criticism of 
um, politics, of economics, but also the way in which scientific development was shaped by that to create not a utopia, a dystopia. Are there any concerns you have about um, developing technologies that may be well-intended, maybe biotech as an example, um, to um, improve humanity and the future of humanity? Uh, are there any concerns about how they could go wrong? Things are always going wrong. Uh, you can't develop a new technology without people figuring out how to misuse it. So the sensible thing is to think about what can we do about that to actually get some uh, decent results out of this. And this is where transhumanism is interesting because it actually takes many of the radical possibilities seriously. If you think machine learning and AI is never really going to do anything, then you're not going to be that worried about AI safety because, well, the robots are never going to climb stairs anyway. If you, on the other hand, think that maybe we could actually get machines smarter than humans and they could undergo a technological singularity that changes the whole future, uh-oh, you better make sure they have the right values and that you program them safely. So it's actually worth noticing how transhumans were kind of instrumental in developing the field of AI safety in the late 90s. The field of AI research had been around since the 50s, but concerns about safety had mostly been about industrial robots not squishing people. It only took until very recently before people started realizing, actually, there might be problems. Maybe it's not necessarily apocalyptic risk, but uh, algorithmic bias is actually worth dealing with. We, we are actually having various issues when robots become powerful, like we see with drone strikes. Even though that's not autonomous systems, that's still a way of automating or uh, tele-extending humans in a way that's morally problematic. So the transhumanist interest in being fairly concrete about could we do interesting things with this, and its willingness to think about visions also means that you can play around with the dark side. So William Gibson's Neuromancer might be well known as the cyberpunk novel, but it's worth noticing Bruce Sterling's Schismatrix, which came out about the same time, which is also equally instrumental in creating the cyberpunk movement. That's essentially set in a transhumanist future, and it's not necessarily a nice future, because humanity has branched out in a lot of very different subspecies, and they're all competing against each other. It's a very interesting story because here it's not so much the nitty-gritty neon-lit streets of rain, uh, rainy Tokyo, but here you're out in space and you have different fa political factions undergoing the battles that you get between political factions, and you get other risks and dangers. So these aspects are very much part of a transhumanist canon of thinking about it. Of course, many transhumanists uh, would just say, oh yeah, we're probably going to solve that. The more serious ones who actually want to think about and do something would say, actually, how do we avoid some of the obvious downsides? And then you can do a tertiary thinking. We will never be able to figure out all the risks beforehand. Can we actually handle risk in a better way? Again, it's not a coincidence that transhumanists have been involved in the work on existential risk. Because if you think that the future could potentially be radically better or different from the present, it could perhaps be radically different and worse than the present, including that we all go extinct because of advanced technology. So again, it's not a coincidence that transhumanists are actually quite keen on thinking about the end of the world and what, how to stop that. Um, so putting aside that risk which we can't predict until it arises, those which we can, um, are there regulations in place in the industries in which transhumanisms are interested, transhumanists rather, are interested in developing? Um, are there regulations in place to mitigate the risks, say of AI, say of nanotechnology? Yeah. 
so, so when it comes to artificial intelligence, I think there is a slow movement towards realizing mm, we need to take safety and ethics seriously. One might argue whether that's done in the right way. Right now, most of the thinking is done inside the industry and academia, and it's my, mostly self-regulation, which might be a sensible thing because it's so early days that it's actually very unclear what laws you want, might want to politicians to make, what uh, regulators should actually exist. We need to figure out more about what we're doing here. But we should be mindful that we're not spending all the time talking about the ethics and what we might want to know before we actually get to dangerous territory. When it comes to nanotechnology, the problem was that much of the pro radical problems of nanotechnology in the 90s then got sidetracked by investigation into material science. And although there was interesting concerns about nanoparticles and being careful about not uh, causing a new form of environmental pollutant, much of the mainstream work did not pursue the radical vision of nanotechnology, which again meant that there has not been much safety thinking about that. That might change as people actually demonstrate real applications. Biotechnology is another good example where we actually do have institutional systems that are fairly workable for many of the more traditional forms of biological research and uh, development. When it comes to biosafety, we know somewhat. The problem is biohacking. That doesn't fit naturally fit into uh, that world. And we are probably going to see an application of biotechnology that are very much out of the lab and we still don't know how to handle safely. This is where I think we actually want to be proactive about thinking but clever ways of handling it. And it might be that you want regulation. It might be that you want monitoring systems. It might also be that you want to have a lot of people doing experimentation so we figure out some of the, on the bad side so early that the technology is not yet mature enough to be dangerous. So I, my utopia would be something like in about, about 100 years, you have a society where aging is something that you read about in history books and is regarded as kind of a grave moral error of the past. Why didn't people do something about it? Why did people persist in that just like sexism and slavery? This is a world where bodies are something you select and design, where probably people show off with the designer bodies, especially the bodies that are hard to maintain because they show a real dedication. This is a world where you can get intelligence on tap, either by connecting to machines or by having very smart machines do thinking for you. This is a world where you have a lot of diversity and also a lot of tolerance. Because without that tolerance, you can't actually maintain a utopian world. You're going to have neighbors having real trouble, not just that they have different religions, but different bodies and different kinds of minds. And for that, I think we need transparency and accountability, but also a fair dose of practical optimism. They are going to try a lot, thousand things and 999 of them are going to be hopeless failures. Some of them gruesome, some of them sad, so, some of them amusing. But we should learn from that. It's not like we can plan the future ahead. It's not like we can have a technocratic planner that just points out, we'll just do this project. We're going to need a million projects and learn from them. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Loops. Remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen. And tune in next week for more big ideas from the world's leading thinkers.